It's the Cases Corner Podcast, episode four. We're recording live today on this Thursday. Again, I'm always shocked and surprised when I get the day of the week right. But we're getting closer to the weekend, um, a weekend that I, I hope has as beautiful of a weather as we had today. Today was a beautiful day in southeast Louisiana, as beautiful of a day as you could possibly have in southeast Louisiana. And we've got a jam-packed show coming your way. In a couple of minutes, we're going to be talking to professional basketball player Randy Brown. She was in Iceland when the COVID pandemic started. She was sent home early from the uh, during the COVID pandemic. She was not able to finish her season. Uh, Randy is a terrific player. She's a terrific talent. We're going to talk to her in just a minute about some of the things she's trying to do to stay ready. Randy is a home native, uh, UNO, one of the best, if not the best, women's basketball players in the history of the U- University of New Orleans. Great player, great person, all that good stuff. We're going to have Randy on in just a couple of minutes. We're going to get you your COVID update at the bottom of the show. Um, then we're going to start to put that at the bottom of the show and stick the sports at the top. Um, but we got a couple of things to talk about uh, out front. We're going to start with a little bit of bad news. The Swampland softball and baseball leagues locally have been canceled for the summer uh, because of the concerns about the COVID-19 pandemic and not knowing when schools were going to be able to be accessed. And you know, they just decided, you know what, instead of having to play fiddle-faddle, we're going to just go ahead and pull the plug on these things and, and not play this summer. Um, tough decision. I know there were so many kids uh, wanting to play, so many parents wanting to follow their kids throughout the summer. Um, but at the end of the day, you got to understand there's a lot of thought that goes into these decisions. And, you know, by the time those games would be played in June and, you know, getting into late June, we're just we're just not there yet. We're just not there yet. And um, I know the concerns are, well, if we're not there in June, are we going to be there in September? I, I think that those are two different animals now. you got to understand that the gap between June and September um, is three months. And the, the, the amount of things that could happen in three months during this is epic. I mean, you got to understand, we've not even been dealing with this pandemic for three months total. So the amount of progress that we've made to get to this point has just been in two months. So we've now got to you know get to June, which is another month away, and then to get to September, which is three months after that, uh, we're looking at four months away from football. And I do think that there will be football. I'm more confident that there will be football now than I was a couple of weeks ago um, because we're continuing to trend in the right direction. Our hospitalizations are continuing to go down. Our ventilator use is con- continuing to go down. Now, will I be able to say with 100% certainty that we'll be able to pack Memorial Stadium with... Um, you know, 4,000 people. I don't know that. Um, we'll have to find out, I guess. Uh, I think that there's going to be some restrictions possibly, especially the beginning of the season on how many people are able to go to games, uh, maybe restrictions on, on the type of person who could go to games. I don't know that, you know, that they're, the, the elderly will be able to necessarily go to some early season games. I don't know exactly how that's all going to work. But long story short, I do think they'll be able to be football played. Um, but I don't think that, uh, well, not I don't think, I know there's not going to be Swampland softball or baseball during the summer. A couple of things that will be played, and this, man, this makes me fired up. 
Today, it was announced officially that Tiger Woods and Peyton Manning will be squaring off in an 18-hole contest against Tom Brady and Phil Mickelson. $10 million will be raised for coronavirus relief around the country. That match will be May the 24th on TNT for Medalist Country Club in Florida. It'll be an 18-hole match. Nine of the holes will be best ball. Nine of the holes will be modified alternate shot format. No spectators, no caddies. Players will play while riding on their own carts. Um, the players released videos today hyping up the match, trash-talking one another. It was epic, and it brings a couple of points to hand. The first point is how grateful I am. And look, I've told you guys this once on the podcast, but anybody who knows me, and I got a, you know, for now, I've got a very localized audience, and a lot of the folks that are listening are people who know me and understand some of the things that I like and don't like. Um, I am the biggest Tiger Woods mark, the biggest Tiger Woods stan, the biggest Tiger Woods man crush fan, whatever you want to call it, in the world. Like, when I was 11, 12 years old, and Tiger was playing in the British Open, and his tea time was 3 a.m., guess who was going to bed at 8 p.m. so that he could be up at 3 a.m. the next day? Yeah, that would be me. Um, when Tiger's playing, I'm fixing my work schedule around that so I could try to watch every shot that I can. I'm trying to avoid appointments that have me on the road. Those weekends that he's performing, I'm trying the best that I can to not have any appointments during those weekends. Whenever I'm at radio on a Saturday and Tiger's you know, playing in the morning, you guys could uh, ask anybody that works with me. I will have the computer monitor on. I'll be watching him play. I'm a, I'm a mark, 100% a mark. Um, but with that having been said, uh, I'm so grateful now to see the peace and the joy that late career Tiger is having and the fun that he's having with himself and with other people. He's expressing himself more. He's doing these charity events. He's, you know, more talkative. He's telling more of the story of his life and the story of his career. He's having fun with some of the other players and, and he's well liked. He was the captain of the President's Club team or President's Cup team this past winter. Um, the guys rallied around them. They wanted to win that event for him. And he's, uh, he's done such a good job rebranding himself. But at one time, he was just stupid with how private he was. You know, he was not letting anybody in and didn't have any fun. He had all the, you know, the glory in the world, but he wasn't able to enjoy any of the success that he was having. And it lead him, it led him to crash. He, he went down the wrong road and he crashed because of it. Um, but I think now he understands better what he is, who he is. And he's doing a much better job of interacting and being able to express himself and not have to have a stick up his rear end at all times. He's having more fun, and that's what life is all about. And I think that this event is going to be awesome because Phil gets under Tiger's skin like no one else. He was needling him today, you know, talking about how the last time they, they met up in a special event like this, Phil beat him, and then showing a picture of Phil winning the green jacket and Tiger putting the jacket on him. And Tiger kind of paused and said, hey, man, sorry, I'm having a cold flash. And then he reached off the camera and pulled out the green jacket and put it on and said, oh, sorry, I was just getting the chills. So just little things like that. And then, of course, you got Tom Brady and you got Peyton Manning, and those guys are hysterical. Um, if people have asked me what uh, I do during the COVID downtime, and one of the things, obviously, to keep myself sane is I'm trying to find ways to watch sports as best I can. And one of the things that I found on ESPN Plus um is Peyton Manning show on ESPN plus is unbelievable that like that that should be on prime time that should be episodic television the guy is is a comedian it is unbelievable how funny that guy is and um it's not all comedy obviously he you know he gives a lot of knowledge and a lot of wisdom but 
I'm just curious to see um, Brady and, and Manning and see what they could do on the golf course. I got a feeling they're going to be both much better than what we realize. And it's going to piss me off because I've been trying to play golf during this downtime. I'm terrible. So to watch them hit quality shots on a professional course is going to aggravate the hell out of me. One interesting thing of note, speaking of golf, is the European Tour has announced they're going to do five simulation tournaments over the next several weeks where they're going to take a handful of golfers, like a dozen golfers. They're going to install simulation indoor technology at each of their houses, and they're going to play tournaments where the lowest score wins amongst the players that have the simulation and the software downloaded at their home. Um, the video game nerd in me thinks that this is the coolest thing in the world. Now, do I think this is something that is marketable? Do I think that this is something that people are going to want to watch? I don't know. But I know the first time I'm going to be curious. I'm going to be tuned in. I'm going to be looking to see how that goes because, man, that's isn't that neat? Like the, the, the way that simulation is set up now, um, I know Hal Martin, my buddy who raced in several different NASCAR circuits, once told me that he legitimately practiced for races and stuff by playing video games and studying the track and studying the courses. And he said that, one video game simulation that that was offered only to nascar drivers was so realistic it, it had bumps on the road in certain areas and you know just to know that that type of technology is available and that athletes are able to use it it's fascinating the ways that you could get better now without even ever leaving the house so i talked a bunch about golf i know there are not very many golf fans uh i i am one so just bear with me um now we're going to talk about something a little bit more positive there are now several college football programs major college football programs who have come out drawn a line in the sand and said we are playing football in 2020 arkansas was the first one out of the gate they said we're playing penn state has since come out and said hey we're playing and to our fellow members of our conference who don't think that you know uh, they want to play that's fine we'll go on without you the big 12 has announced they're going to have virtual media days to move forward with their 2020 college football season um, several schools in the SEC have announced that they're returning to class in the fall, LSU being one of them. Um, man, sign me up because we need that. We, you know, That's going to be the one big thing. we got to get these leagues rolling again successfully. I know Major League Baseball is making a push to try to return July the 1st. They're trying to start their spring training in early June. We've got to have college football this fall. We've got to have NFL football this fall. I don't care if there's 100 people in the stands. I don't care if there's zero people in the stands or if there's 50,000 people in the stands. We've got to get playing these games. It's just for the, the morale of the American people. We've got to find a way to do it safely and responsibly. And I don't know about you, but this thing gets a whole lot uh, darker if we get to that first September in the fall and LSU's not playing somebody. Um, and, and, and more important than any of that, I mean, it would just be – catastrophic to these smaller institutions say a nickel state university here at home they're about to get a seven-figure payday from lsu if that game doesn't take place like nichols is then going to have to figure out hey how am i going to pay my athletic bills for the rest of the year so you know we we talk about this selfishly from a, a perspective of a fan but the entire thing is based on dominoes that are going to twirl and, and you know head downhill if those games aren't played um Boy, it's going to cause big problems So to, to see the reports and the news that it's looking like things are trending in the right direction and that there's a desire um, to get the games in is, is fulfilling for me as a sports fan. It excites me as a sports fan. And uh, it's just good to know that there's some light at the end of the tunnel because, man, for so long, the instinct had always been, OK, well, you're going to cancel this. Uh, 
three weeks from now, so I'm going to cancel my event four weeks from now. And it was like it was a contest to see who was the most woke. Um, and we were canceling everything left and right, making decisions so far into the future that didn't necessarily need to be made, like canceling or attempting to cancel 2021 Mardi Gras. Uh, the Mayor Cantrell has been talking about it in the past. Uh, those decisions don't need to be made. So I, I, it's good to know that now the spirit and the desire has kind of changed a little bit. And we're getting back to the mentality and the spirit of instead of canceling everything, okay, well, how do we go forward and how do we resume normal life? So I'm so happy and grateful to see that that's taking place. By the time you're listening to this, the NFL schedules will have been released. The New Orleans Saints have had a great piece of their schedule get uh, leaked here throughout the day. The New Orleans Saints will be opening up the 2020 NFL season at home in the Dome against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Why is that a notable game? Um, well, uh, a couple of things have happened to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in, in recent years, uh, or recent weeks, rather. Uh, Tom Brady has decided he's going to leave New England, go to Tampa. Rob Gronkowski's come out of retirement. He's been traded to Tampa. Big division rivalry. Jameis Winston's now a Saint. So for so many different reasons, that's going to be a huge game in week one. Right out of the gate, the Saints are going to find out where they stand against Tampa Bay. In the Dome, there may or may not be fans. How interesting will that be? Um, so that'll be the first opponent, according to reports. Then from there, the Saints go to Las Vegas, and they'll be playing a primetime game against the Las Vegas Raiders. I think, if I'm not mistaken, that'll be the Raiders' first home game. Um, so again, whether or not there will be fans, I don't know. If there are fans, i got to tell you, that's going to be wild as hell. That's going to be a raucous environment. That place is going to be rocking, and that will not be an easy place for New Orleans to play. Week three, the Saints will be back in the Dome taking on Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers, and as disgruntled as he is, uh, they picked Jordan Love in the first round of the NFL draft. He'll be uh, in the Dome in week three, taking on New Orleans. And other games that have leaked week five at home against the Los Angeles Chargers. And then they have a brutal stretch in the the um, end of the season. Check out these games. They got to play at Denver, at Atlanta, at Philly in consecutive weeks, three straight road games. That's something you don't see in the NFL very often. And then you play home against Kansas City after that. And then home on Christmas Day against the Minnesota Vikings. That's the team, obviously, that put New Orleans out of postseason. But you got three straight road games. Denver, altitude. That saps your lungs. That saps your energy. Atlanta, Philly. Then you're taking on Kansas City and you're taking on Minnesota. We told you in the last episode, folks, this schedule is not going to be easy. Um, that's one of the byproducts of being a first-place team in the NFL is that the next year, You've got to play a first-place schedule, and uh, there will not be very many easy games on that schedule this coming season, especially when you, given the fact that everyone in the division has high hopes. Atlanta's hopeful that they're going to turn things around and have a better go of things. Carolina now has Teddy Bridgewater and Joe Brady and a different coaching staff, different regime under Matt Rule. And then, I mean, Tampa Bay is Tampa Bay. They've got Brady, they've got Gronk, they've got so many different weapons and so many different ways that they could hurt you, and there's so much intrigue about what they're going to be able to do in the upcoming season. So it's going to be very curious to see what the NFC South looks like. It's going to be kind of a wild, wild west. I think all four teams are going to be very competitive, uh, and what the chips may will fall where they may, as they say. Going to talk some wrestling here, some old-fashioned wrestling. WWE Money in the Bank pay-per-view is this weekend. It'll be set from Stanford, Connecticut. WWE headquarters, the Money in the Bank ladder matches, men and women's, will be set on the ground floor of WWE headquarters, and the briefcase will be set at the top floor of headquarters. So the matches will roam the buildings and 
they've already teased, you know, that the, the fighting may go on in Vince McMahon's office and everything of this sort. Um, so I'm going to make predictions for who I think is going to win each match on the card. We'll start from the bottom going up. Intercontinental Championship match, Sami Zayn, the champion, taking on Drew Gulak. Um, Sami Zayn, y'all. And this is going to be, I'm warning you now, the next five, ten minutes or so will be some high-level me nerding out about wrestling. So if you're not into that, just go ahead and fast forward. i got the timestamps of when I'm going to wrap this up below. Um, but that's such a big part of me and my fanhood and everything. So I gotta, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about this. Intercontinental Championship, Sami Zayn is, is every era there's a guy who is kind of underappreciated for how great he is and for me in this era Cesaro kind of gets all the the accolades and, and Cesaro and Dolph Ziggler really get all the hype and the accolades and all the talk of oh man that guy is is this and that and he could really work and he could do this and he's, he could do that and he's being held back and he's not being booked right um to me Sami Zayn is probably the most underrated talent of this era of WWE that guy is such a good heel I was watching Wrestlemania the, the, the challenging thing that the talent are having to face right now is how to get a reaction and how to generate that hatred as a heel when there are no fans in the stands to play off of and Sami Zayn has found a way to do that and do that beautifully he is he has evolved into such a excuse my language well I'm not even going to I'm not going to say what I was going to say, but he has evolved into such a, just a big wuss. He is such a cowardly heel. He is such a good um, generator of heat because you cannot, and I'll watch his matches with strangers who don't even watch wrestling and they'll leave the match thinking, man, I hate that guy. That guy's you know, a jerk or whatever it may be. And that's exactly the point. He could generate so much of that anger and so much of that tension. And he, it's just must-see TV. And I think he's going to go over Drew Gulak and retain his title. Raw Tag Team Championships, Street Profits versus the Viking Raiders. Um, I don't care. Um, I, I don't particularly like either team. Um, I'm curious to see how John Gruden and Kirk Cousins team up together. So give me the Viking Raiders to win the tag championships against the Street Profits. Though I'm not very interested in this match. Don't particularly care for either team. I think the Street Profits are given too much TV time. I don't think their act is funny. The Viking Raiders, like, you're not kidding me, but it's not the 1400s. That, it's, it's not my favorite angle there. Uh, SmackDown Tag Team Championships New Day will be taking on the Forgotten Sons will be taking on The Miz and John Morrison will be taking on the Lucha House Party I could tell you who's not going to win the Lucha House Party is not going to win uh, give me Miz and Morrison in this one I another one of those guys like we talk about with Sami Zayn The Miz is anything he does you know we, we could hate on him and, and you know whenever he was world champion everybody was critical but Everything he does gets over and gets heat, and his tag team with John Morrison included. I think they're going to win this one. Um, New Day is so good, though, man. It's hard to go against them, but give me Miz and Morrison. I, I, I love Miz, and I think that his, his teaming with Morrison has worked out. SmackDown Women's Championship match, Bailey versus Tamina. Uh, it's comical. Tamina ain't winning that match. I don't know if Tamina has ever won a meaningful match. Um Bailey's going to win that one. That's going to be the only drama there is going to be will Sasha Banks at some point turn on Bailey. Um, Tamina ain't got a snowball's chance, and you know what to win that one. 
Universal Championship match, Braun Strowman against Bray Wyatt. I'm going to go on a soapbox rant here. And my friends and I do this often, and we always say this, and you know we, we don't mean it because two, three weeks later, we come back to our senses and start watching again. Um, if Bray Wyatt wins this match and unseats Braun Strowman as the Smack Arts Universal Heavyweight Champion, I'm going to be done. I may not watch for a while. I may be on strike for a couple of weeks. Because to me, this was the match that should have taken place at WrestleMania. Um, you took the title off of Bray Wyatt and put it on Goldberg, who's 90. And who, even when he was 30, couldn't work a lick. After Bray Wyatt had destroyed your entire roster in squash matches, you take the title off of him, put it on Goldberg, and then have Goldberg get squashed by Braun Strowman in two minutes at Wrestlemania so if the booking here is for Bray Wyatt to unseat Braun Strowman and win the Universal Championship then everything that you've done in the last two or three months was going to be deemed utterly useless utterly pointless and for no reason whatsoever and it would be the single stupidest booking in the history of a company that has done a lot of stupid bookings Braun Strowman better win this match for the sanity of the WWE Universe. Braun Strowman better win this match. So I'm going to go with Braun. WWE Championship match, Drew McIntyre versus Seth Rollins. Um, I'm going to go with Drew McIntyre. A couple of things I want to point out about this one. When Drew McIntyre beat Brock Lesnar, I was a little bit skeptical. Um, because, like, here's the thing. Uh, and I get, I get grief from this all the time from wrestling fans, and it's okay. Um, I, I kind of like Brock Lesnar. I think that he's an attraction. Um, and I'm always curious to see, you know, it, it feels important when he loses. And I don't think there's anybody else in the company that it feels important when they lose. Um, so, but with that having been said, since Drew McIntyre has beaten him, I think he's done a wonderful job as champion. Um, I think he's got more charisma than I realized. I think he's got more swagger than I realized. And one of the things that I really can't wait to see when fans are allowed back in arenas <clears throat> is the type of reaction that he's going to generate because I'm curious to see how truly over he actually is um, I know he was very over at the Royal Rumble when he put Brock Lesnar out but that was just one night um, now that he's actually physically carrying the title I'm curious to see how over he actually is and I got a feeling that the answer to that is going to be more than what the company realizes because I think he's he's over exceeding expectations by quite a bit and I think he's going to beat Seth Rollins um, now the other point I wanted to make about this is I'm a big Seth Rollins guy I didn't like him as a face I loved him as a heel uh, the last stint that he had as a heel um, but he needs to be rebranded man this Monday Night Messiah thing where I mean, that's 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 old and stale and I don't like it anymore never really liked it much to begin with it's played it's cliche I don't it's I don't know it's just sleazy um I think McIntyre goes over I don't think Rollins is a threat here uh so give me Drew McIntyre in the WWE championship match the women's money in the bank ladder match we've got Oscar versus Shayna Baszler versus Nia Jax versus Dana Brooke versus Lacey Evans versus Carmella it would be easy uh, easy booking to say Nia Jax, but since coming back, she's crushed everybody on the roster. 
but I'm going to go with Shayna Baszler here. I think that she's going to win the briefcase and carry it um, for a couple of reasons. For one, I think that her WrestleMania match was phenomenal. For two, I don't think Nia Jax needs the briefcase to be a threat, whereas I think with Shayna Baszler, it would help enhance her character. Um, and then I don't, I don't think anybody else in the match is a threat. I don't think Dana Brooke is a threat. I don't think Lacey Evans is a threat. Carmella, no. Asuka, no. So I think it would be out of Baszler and Nia Jax, but I think Shayna Baszler is going to get the rub here just because I think it would be too easy to give it to Nia Jax. They're building her up in such a level. I think they're going to go with the swerve. I think they're going to put her on Baszler. The men's Money in the Bank ladder match. Daniel Bryan versus Aleister Black versus Rey Mysterio versus King Corbin versus Otis versus AJ Styles. Um, the first thing I want to say about this match is I'm curious to see who's going to take the big bump because you know it's coming. It's a Money in the Bank ladder match. Somebody's taking the big bump, and they're moving this thing to WWE headquarters for a reason. They're not moving this thing to WWE headquarters just to have something interesting to look at or you know, they're moving it to headquarters with a specific plan in mind. Somebody's going through a table. Somebody's going off of something uncomfortable through something else, being dropped off of one store onto the next one. And I want to see who's going to be taking that big bump. Um, King Corbin, I think, could potentially take a monster bump in this match. I don't know if they're going to do it with Daniel Bryan because of the history with the concussions and everything like that. So the, the first point I want to make is I'm curious to see who's going to take that monster fall um, Kevin Owens would have been a, a threat to do it in this match, but obviously he was injured taking his own big bump at WrestleMania. Um, but now for the winner, I think AJ Styles is going to win this one um, for a couple of reasons. For one, I think that, um, again, it, it all goes back to who does have, you know, by putting the briefcase on someone, who does it enhance their character the most? And I think it enhances AJ Styles as a heel because he'll be lugging that thing around and rubbing it in everybody's face that he's going to be the future world champion and all the things that AJ Styles does. Um, so I think that he's going to get the rub. And I think that I just can't realistically see it on anyone else. I don't, King Corbin, no. Daniel Bryan, no. Aleister Black, maybe. Otis, hell no. Uh, and that, that's not anything against Otis. I love him. I just can't see him with the briefcase. And Rey Mysterio, and oh, God, no, he, he's going to be the least likely to win the match. He's an enhancement talent at this point. Um, so give me AJ Styles. I think that it's going to be put on him because of the character enhancement. And then also I think it's a rub because of his WrestleMania match. He made The Undertaker look effing amazing. And that's you know me stopping myself from saying what I really wanted to say because he made The Undertaker look awesome at WrestleMania, and that's not easy to do. Uh, you know, given his restrictions and his age and all that good stuff. So give me AJ Styles, give me Shayna Baszler, and in the world title matches, give me Drew McIntyre and Braun Strowman. Can't wait to watch it. It'll be this weekend on the WWE Network. Let's go ahead and catch a quick break. When we get back, I'm going to answer some sports questions. Then we're going to get you Randy Brown. It's the Casey's Corner Podcast on the LaFouchegazette.com. We'll be right back after this break. And this would be a good reminder to remind you about the LaFouche Gazette app, available in all app stores today. Uh, just go to your app store, type LaFoucheGazette.com. You get the latest access to all of our news that we're producing. You can get push notifications and anything that we're producing, we could send it to you on your app. 100% easy, 100% free. You don't have to do anything except go to your app store, type LaFouche Gazette, download our app today. That's where you can get all the latest and greatest and stay informed with everything happening in our community. Again, it's the LaFouche Gazette app in your app store, available today. 
and welcome back to the Casey's Corner Podcast here on LaFoucheGazette.com. I'm going to get to your questions here in just a second. Um, I've got to revise my um, show a little bit here. In the last segment, I broke down to you some matchups that the New Orleans Saints are going to have on their schedule. Um, but the entire schedule has just dropped. It has just uh, leaked. Uh, this is not public yet, so I'm going to assume this is correct. But all the dates, and I studied it during the last break, all the dates seem to match up. The Saints are going to open at home against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That'll be on September the 13th, uh, Fox. Uh, then, they, as we said, they'll play the Los Vegas Raiders on Monday Night Football the following week on Week 2. Then they'll play the Green Bay Packers at home on NBC Sunday Night Football in Week 3. So we told you that in the last segment. Then from there, Week 4, they travel to take on the Detroit Lions. That'll be a noon kickoff on Fox. Then back on Monday Night Football again in Week 5 against the Los Angeles Chargers. So the first five games will be Bucks, Raiders, Packers, Lions, and Chargers. Week 6 will be New Orleans as bye. Week 7, they'll take on the Carolina Panthers on Fox at noon. Week 8, they travel to Chicago to take on the Bears. That'll be 325 kickoff on Fox. Week 9 at Tampa Bay. That'll be a Sunday night game on NBC. Week 10, San Francisco 49ers. That'll be in the Dome on Fox. Week 11, the Atlanta Falcons will be coming to town. That'll be in the Dome. Then they got the three straight road games like we told you about in the last segment at Denver, at Atlanta, at Philly. Um, so no Thanksgiving game this year for New Orleans. And then, and we'll tell you why in just a second. Week 15, they're home against Kansas City like we talked about. And then on Christmas Day, on a Friday, they will be taking on the Minnesota Vikings. Um, so that's probably why New Orleans didn't get the Thanksgiving time slot this year. is because they're going to be playing on a Friday, uh, December 25th against the Vikings at home. And then they'll close out the year January 3rd against the Panthers on the road. So it's Bucks, Raiders, Packers, Lions, Chargers, Panthers, Bears, Bucks, 49ers, Falcons, Broncos, Falcons, Eagles, Chiefs, Vikings, Panthers. Those are the 16 weeks in secession. Also worth noting, they released the preseason schedule. The Saints will be playing the Rams, the Steelers, the Texans, and the Dolphins. The first two games, Rams and Steelers, will be on the road. The last two games, Texans and Dolphins will be at home. Uh, so very interesting slate, very, very interesting slate, um, very challenging slate. My God, that down the stretch of after the bye, you've got Carolina, then at Chicago, at Tampa, San Francisco, Atlanta, at Denver, at Atlanta, at Philly, Chiefs, Vikings. Like there's no easy games there. Uh, so curious to see how the chips fall, but I just wanted to update. I know we talked a little bit about the schedule in the first segment, but it fully has dropped, so the Saints will be playing a murderer's row, difficult schedule, a ton of nationally televised games, a ton of games that are going to be in prime time. I count one, two, three, four games, uh, five games that will be on national television in prime time. So we'll see how it goes. I wanted to get now to your questions like we talked about in the last segment. Um, if you've got a question for me, send it to justclairecasey at gmail.com. I get a bunch of them, and I'm so grateful to you guys for participating in the show. So the first question I want to fire away, what role will Jameis Winston have in New Orleans with the Saints? Um, not very much of one. Um, he's going to be, you know, a backup quarterback. He's going to be a guy who's going to play if the game is lopsided or if Drew Brees is injured. I don't think this is a situation where, like Taysom Hill, where they're going to find packages for him to be under center or anything like that. I don't think he's versatile enough to do that. 
Uh, I don't think he could run well enough to make that worthwhile. I think he's going to be a backup, and he's coming over to just kind of study under Drew Brees and learn from Drew Brees. And uh, I don't think he's going to have a role other than, you know, emergency. If, if Drew gets hurt or goes down, then, then you'll see him. If not, I don't think you'll see him at all. But with that having been said, I think it was a, a great signing. Uh, you got to have an insurance policy. And how many backup quarterbacks in the history of the NFL have ever had a 5,000-yard season? Um, the, the answer to that may be none. I, I'd have to go back and look. The answer may well be none. Um, and he had a 5,000-yard season last year. Um, does he have flaws? Does he have deficiencies? Yeah, he turns over the ball a ton, um, makes plenty of mistakes, is that and the other. Um, but for a backup quarterback, I mean, you can't beat the the upside that he has. I'm curious to see how that'll work out in New Orleans. One concern would be um, many coaches have said that the second most important player on your team is your backup quarterback because they do so much preparation during the week to get your starter ready for action. Um, will Jameis be willing to do some of that legwork, some of that um, you know undercover stuff that you don't get recognized for to help Drew Brees out and make him better? I don't know. I guess we'll find out. But I, I do know that on the field it's a great fit um, because if Drew goes down, he's a guy that realistically could win some games for you. Second question, who is the best athlete you ever covered at the at, uh, at LSU during your college time? Um, my God, there have been a bunch. Um, you got to understand something. I was so blessed. I went to LSU from 2005 to 2009, and in the time that I was there, um, I kid you not, we made it to a men's Final Four. We made it to a women's Final Four. We made it. We won the football national championship in 2007. We won the baseball national championship in 2009. So that's your four major sports right there where you're finishing in the top four, if not winning at all, in all of them. So on the women's basketball side of things, I saw Simone Augustus. I saw Sylvia Fowles. I saw um, so many great players. Uh, on the men's basketball side, you know, there was Daryl Mitchell, Glenn Davis, Tyrus Thomas, Garrett Temple. Um, again, so many tremendous players. Uh, um, Tasman Mitchell, who's a phenomenal basketball player. Um, then on the women's side, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention um, Erica White. She was so good. Uh, Tamika Johnson was a little bit before my college time, but she was so good. Uh, so just so many great players. Um, then on the baseball side, I mean, we're talking about Anthony Renato, DJ LeMayhew, um, Blake Dean, uh, Micah Gibbs, uh, Matty Ott, football, you know, Matt Flynn, Demetrius Bird, all those great Tigers. But anyway, to answer the question, who's the best one, the best pure athlete that I covered at LSU without question was Chad Jones. Um, he was a safety on the football field. He was a relief pitcher for the baseball team. And you know, an outfielder at first, what, making an impact as an outfielder. So he goes to Pulmonary and says, hey, man, let me pitch. And he has a bullpen, and the legend has it that no one could hit him in that bullpen. And then they tossed him in a couple of games. And then, lo and behold, you've got a left-handed relief option and dreadlocks of doom. And he was a vital part of that team in the College World Series. So without question, Chad Jones would be the answer. And one of the greatest regrets that I'll ever have as a sports fan was if that guy doesn't get injured and in that car wreck and has to have all these surgeries and everything, he would have been a dynamite NFL safety. Just dynamite. Because he could cover so much ground. He was such a physical tackler, such a ball hawk back there. You're looking at a guy who would have had such a wonderful NFL career and it got all taken away from him. It's just a shame. But the answer to the question, in my opinion, 
unequivocally is Chad Jones. He was so good at so many things and made an impact on not one, but two teams that contended for national championships. Next question, any chance school sports seasons get pushed back a couple of weeks to give us more time in our coronavirus relief? I actually talked about this with my buddy, Coach Brian Colley, on Saturday, and he seems to think that it's an option, but it's not necessarily a viable option or an option that's incredibly likely. Um, and the idea would be, you know, okay, well, you move, you know, if practices start a little bit later, you move the start of football back to late September or mid-September or whatever it may be, just to give a little bit more time. Um, I don't know that we have enough data to fully say that. Um, I don't know, you know, that, that we know exactly how it's all going to play out. But I think that it would be an option. But the key thing to realize is that if you do that, you've got to then move back the start dates for a couple of weeks for every sport. And what I mean by that is um, you can't just say, okay, well, well, we'll push football back and then that's it. Because then basketball coaches are going to be hollering and screaming because then they're going to be missing football players for longer in their respective seasons. So then you got to move basketball back. And then baseball coaches are going to be hollering and screaming, and, and you know how it works. It's a ripple-down effect. you got so many two- and three-sport athletes, that you know kids that play everything. Um, so I think that if you make that decision, you got to also understand and realize that you're making that decision for everything. Everything would be pushed back for two or three weeks or however long it would be. So I think it's an option. I don't know how likely it is. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Next question comes uh, from my buddy Dustin, who asks, how much video games are you playing during the pandemic? <laughs> That's a interesting question. Um, not a whole lot. Not as much as I would like to. Not as much as I would want to. I've been staying pretty busy. When I have free time, my uh, therapy is hitting record and speaking to you guys. Um, but I will admit this. I In the last 24 to 48 hours, I have played probably 10 to 12 hours of video games because I had my nephew over for a couple of nights. And we've been on a mission to beat a video game, uh, Detroit Becomes Human. Great video game. I'd highly recommend it. We had a great time playing it. So prior to the last few days, very little, if any. Um, but in the last 24 to 48 hours, I have played a ton. And I don't have any regrets because it was great to get that relief. And um, the game I was telling you about, Detroit Becomes Human, um, great A. If, if you guys are into adventure games, mystery style games, that's a great game. Um, and I would highly recommend it. But I haven't been playing a whole lot of uh, video games, though I wish I would. Who do you think is going to win the NFL Rookie of the Year Award? Um, you guys are about ready to throw tomatoes at me, so I'm going to tell you right now, go ahead and hit pause on your phone, go in your pantry, and get a tomato because you're about ready to then hit play again and throw that tomato at your phone and just imagine that you're hitting me with it. Because my answer for this is going to be C.D. Lamb is going to win NFL Rookie of the Year. Of course, C.D. Lamb being the first-round draft pick of my Dallas Cowboys. And I hear every single Saints fan in the world hollering and screaming and saying that I'm being a homer and whatever it may be. Um, who's the better fit to win Rookie of the Year than a guy who, A, is going to be in an offense that's going to throw the ball a ton? The Cowboys had one of the most prolific passing offenses in the league last year. B, has a defined, clear role. He's going to be a starter. He's going to be replacing Randall Cobb in an offense under Mike McCarthy that uses the slot receiver very heavily. And I guess the next factor would be, you know, he's one of the only quote-unquote elite-level prospects in this draft who landed at a team that could realistically contend. 
Um, the Joe Burrow is going to the Bengals. That's going to take some time. I don't think he's going to have a dynamite rookie season. I think he's going to be okay, but I don't think he's going to be dynamite. I don't think Tua is going to play at all his rookie season. I think he's going to redshirt and heal and let his hip recover. And then some of the other guys that were picked, you know, in the top ten are going to be going to bad situations, bad teams, or you know, just I don't think are going to pan out the way that you know. Ruggs was picked as the number one receiver in this draft. That's a damn joke. That is no reason that, that Henry Ruggs should have been the number one receiver taken in the 20, uh, 2020 NFL draft. That was embarrassing at the time. I don't think that's going to pan out. So I, I got to go with C.D. Lamb. Um, I think he's going to the spot where he's going to be most likely to succeed. And, I, you know, and I'm not alone in thinking that. I'm, I'm, I'm biased because I'm a fan. But the Cowboys universally got heralded for their NFL draft. And I think that C.D. Lamb was a big part of that. Next question. Who's the best undercard wrestler you always stop to watch? Um, Well, I kind of spilled the beans on that one uh, in the last segment. Whenever I said that I really like like what Cesaro does and Dolph Ziggler and all those guys, but that I'm a Sami Zayn guy. Um, But I'm going to go back to the, the previous era. And... Every for whatever reason, I don't know why this is, but for whatever reason, I was always such a huge Rick Martel fan, and I know that's awkward. Um, but I think that the model, Rick Martel, the heel gimmick, the heel gimmick character with the pink trunks and the perfume that he was spraying in the air and he had sprayed into people's eyes, I don't know what it was about that gimmick, but I, I always enjoyed watching him as a kid. And I, th- I think the reason why is because I always appreciated the work. Rick Martel could, could work. He, when there was a Royal Rumble, he was coming in early and he was lasting late. He was working for 35, 40 minutes. And though he was never a guy who got to the top level, he was always a guy that could put somebody over. He was such a gifted giver. He sold well. And he was such a dislikable character that in the era of my childhood, I would go with Rick Martel, the current era. I would go with Sami Zayn, and in, let's say, the Attitude Era. Um, let me try to pick one from the Attitude Era. This is off the cuff. I haven't done any research at all on this one. Um, D'Lo Brown could work. He's unappreciated. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think of a one that's better than that. Oh, Attitude Era. Ne- never mind. Uh, Owen Hart, 100%. Owen Hart was unbelievable. If he wouldn't have died, he would have, he would have been a world champion someday. Owen Hart was so talented, had so much charisma. Um, Owen Hart would have been the answer from the Attitude Era. Next question and last question. Um, what does the future for South Lafouche baseball look like? Um, very bright. Very, very bright. They lose some talented seniors. There's no doubt about that. Um, but they bring a lot back. You look, you're, you're bringing your catcher back. You're bringing your third baseman back. You're bringing your shortstop back. You're bringing your second baseman back. You're bringing a good bit of your outfield back. Um, you lose some arms, and you're going to have to replace those arms. But you got guys coming back who could pitch. Um, I, I think that the, the future of this program is bright, and I think that one of the things that they're going to regret the most about missing this season and postseason is that I believe that a team um, needs to learn how to win in a postseason bracket-style format. And I don't think that they would have won the state championship this year. But I do think that just by being in the tournament and losing in the quarterfinals or semifinals or whatever, second round, third round, whatever it would have ended up being, 
I think that that experience would have helped next year's team, but that experience obviously got robbed and taken from them. Um, but the future is bright. For the next couple of years, they're going to be extremely good. And from what I understand from people in the area who coach you know, in the travel leagues and everything like that, um, there are some very talented kids, even at the younger ages. So it feels like that that program is going to be solidified for the next several years as one that's going to be an annual contender. Let's go ahead and catch a quick break. Thank you all so much for the questions. Just clarekc at gmail.com if you want to get involved in the show. I've got a big surprise. Um, this was supposed to be a show with just one call-in guest. It's now going to be a show with two call-in guests. And you know why? Because I've just lined up South Lafouche football coach BJ Young. He's going to join us here on the show. He's going to talk to us about his plans for the Tarfin football program. I know so many people have been looking forward to this interview. So BJ Young will join us later in the show. But first, Randy Brown, after this next break, you're listening to the Casey's Corner Podcast on LafoucheGazette.com. LafoucheGazette.com is your home for all the latest happenings in the Lafouche Parish efforts to fight COVID-19. Every single day at noon, we have a new story with all the updated numbers, and we give um, you know all the latest figures, and we keep you informed. So that's LafoucheGazette.com. Visit us today for all the latest in the fight in the state of Louisiana and in Lafouche Parish against COVID-19. It's the Casey's Corner Podcast, and I'm very happy to be joined by our special guest at this time, professional basketball player from the home area, Randy Brown. Randy, how are you today? I'm great. How are you guys? Good, good. Uh, happy to hear that. Um, you were a wonderful uh, guest to have because you were able to live through all this craziness while in another country. Uh, you were, uh, But before we get to all that stuff, how, how's things going? Are you able to, to do a little bit of training right now? How are you staying prepared with everything closed down? Yeah, everything's good. Um, I still go train. I still do my training at home. Uh, just, you know, just regular stuff, doing outside things, staying in shape, going run and things like that. So I've been able to stay in shape and still get my training in when I can. Um, it's just been hard to get shots up with the gym being closed. But other than that, I've been um, still been training and everything like that. Very good. And so for folks who are not familiar, you were in Iceland at the time where this was all beginning. Um, your season was going pretty well. You were putting up some good numbers. Um, before the pandemic started, uh, let's talk about the good part of Iceland first. How were things going out there? Were you liking it? Were you liking your team? Tell us about everything before sort of the COVID madness started. Uh, everything was really good. I liked the team. I liked the coaches, uh, the area, and just the atmosphere. It, it was, Of course, it was cold, but it wasn't as cold as it was when I was in Finland. Uh, everything else was fine. The food was about the same. There's no McDonald's there, so... Um, but uh, everything else was good. I really liked the area. The scenery was really, really, really pretty and everything like that. So, Okay, very good. Oh, the team was great, too. My teammates, the team and everything, they were great, too, uh, playing with them and just hanging out with them. And a lot of people always ask me if they can understand me everywhere I go, just about everywhere I go. Um, everyone speaks English. The only place that I have been that no one really spoke English that I actually needed Someone to translate was when I went to Morocco. Before I went to Iceland, I went to Morocco to play in the Arab Cup Championship, which is a tournament. There's a really big tournament uh, there. So I went there to play, and no one spoke English. The coach didn't speak English. No one spoke English. So I had one teammate that spoke English, and I had her everywhere with me. So, 
So, so what's that like? I mean, let's talk a little bit about that, that experience in Morocco. How do you get coached by someone that you can't even talk to? Like, how does that work? I know you said you had one teammate that was translating, but even still, that's got to be incredibly awkward. Talk us what that's like, talk us through what that's like. Yes, it was pretty tough because in Morocco, basketball, in just overseas in general, um, basketball isn't as, Morocco is not as advanced, but as far as how we do things here and how they do things there, as far as how they play 2-3-0 and how we play it and certain things like that, um, it's a little different. And so, you know, sometimes their ways is better than ours and sometimes our ways look more efficient than theirs. And... I can remember we were in the game and I was trying to tell him that maybe we should do this this way. And, you know, he did not, he was shaking his head, yes, but he did not know anything I was saying. So I had to hurry up and call my teammate and vice versa. When he would talk to me sometimes, um, they speak French a little in uh, Morocco. Morocco's in Africa, so they have, they speak Arabic and they speak French a little. So some of the French stuff he was saying, I kind of knew just because I have taken French before. But majority of the stuff he was saying, I did not know. So every time he would say stuff, I would just look at my teammate. She's shorter than me, so I'll look at my teammate, put my head down by her. She would whisper in my ear what he said, and then I'd be like, okay. And then, you know. <laughs> now, Randy, you're not a player that, you know, like is, is all the time complaining to the officials or anything like that. But even in the same breath, how do you communicate with the officials when they call you for a foul that you don't think you committed? Like, and you're talking to these people who don't know what you're saying, and they're trying to, like, what's that like? When I talk to the refs, so when we're playing and I'm talking to the refs, I really don't say much. All I do is just look at the ref and I'm just like, Mr. Ref or Miss Ref. And when I was in Iceland, they thought that was so funny that I would say that. They're like, why do you do that? I was like, I don't know. It's just something like, I do that even when I'm home. If something happens, I'm like, Mr. Ref or I'm like, Miss Ref. But in, when I was in Morocco, I didn't talk to the refs at all because it made no sense to talk to them. <laughs> they didn't understand anything. Very good. Anybody who plays basketball that's listening, that's great advice. Uh, the nicer you are to those people in stripes, the more calls you're going to get. Uh, Randy, you were playing and, uh, had, like I said a minute ago, having a great season, putting up numbers, getting buckets, doing all that stuff. Then all of the craziness happens. And I, I remember we had you on radio right after uh, this was all starting to go down, right after you just gotten home. Um, talk me through that. It feels like a whole bunch happened and not a lot of time. Walk us through that situation when you're find out, finding out about the pandemic and then all of a sudden you're being sent home. Yeah, so Iceland, when this, when this first started happening, Iceland was had no cases. Like, they were one of the countries that had no cases. But then so many people from Iceland go to Italy or they work in Italy and things like that. Like I had a teammate, her dad lived in Italy. Her dad worked and lived in Italy. And I think her brother played basketball in Italy. Her mom had gone to visit them and stuff while all this was going on. Well, before it got as bad, as bad 
that, and then I had another teammate, it was the same thing. Like, her parents had gone over there and came back. And one of my teammates, her parents were actually the first people in Iceland with COVID. Wow. So they had them quarantined. Um, she couldn't even stay with her parents. They had them quarantined and things like that. So we were still playing. We were still going about every about everything regular, you know, like it wasn't really going on. We were practicing. We were still playing and everything like that. Uh, only difference is we were playing, but they didn't have as many fans as we usually would have. And that was really the only difference. And then when President Trump started talking about shutting down travel and everything like that, then it was just like, okay, so what do we do next? And so then I had to communicate with the chairman of the team and my agents to figure out, okay, well, am I going to go home on this day? And do you guys know, like, everything that is going on? Because uh, he's issuing a travel ban, and I don't want to get stuck here. So then they were getting into – so over there they have clubs. So the clubs have different age groups and things like that. So the younger kids – they had already started canceling their games. Uh, like the kids that are like high school age and junior high age, they had already started canceling their games and their tournaments on the weekends and things like that. But it took them a little longer to start canceling our, our games and everything. So we had a game on Wednesday, um, on March 11th, I think, and that was our last game. After that, the travel ban and everything went out on that night. And it was said that, you know, travel would be cut off from certain countries. And so when I saw that, I sent that to my agent and to the chairman. And then, like, 6 o'clock the next morning, they had me a flight to go home on Thursday. Wow. So all of that happened with this course of less than 48 hours. And I remember, okay, so you get home on that weekend. And I remember on that Saturday morning, we had you on radio. And you were telling us all these same stories and everything was good. Now, you were telling me when we were preparing to book you for this interview here that a couple of days after that Saturday interview, you actually got sick and, and you think that you, you were a coronavirus patient. Talk us through that process. Yeah, so then when I got home, I got home on May, I mean, sorry, March 13th. I got home March 13th. And I went, as soon as I got home from the airport, I came home, I came to Homa and I went to the urgent care. I went to the urgent care and they didn't test me. They were like, you were in a place that wasn't high risk and everything like that. So I was like, okay, I was still trying to explain to the nurse that, you know, I wasn't in a place that was high risk, but I had to come through New York and I had to come through um, New Orleans. And those two places were very high risk. So they were still like, you know, you don't need to get tested. We're not going to test you. So I was like, okay. So then that was on a Friday. The very next Friday, I started getting sick. But I have seasonal allergies, so I'm thinking this whole time that, you know, with the climate change and everything like that, I'm going from very dry air to, you know, a little bit more humid air. I'm thinking that's what's going on. So it wasn't until my, I had a fever. Uh, and then I went back to the same urgent care, and they tested me for the flu, and it came back negative. And they still didn't test me for the virus or anything like that. So then... The next morning, um, I had a fever of 103. And so wow. then that's when my mom was like, okay, I'm going to take you to the hospital. So she takes me to the hospital, and then that's when they um, that's when they tested me for everything. They tested me for the flu again. They tested me for strep throat, uh, strep throat and then they tested me for COVID. But before they tested me for COVID, my results from the 
for from strep throat and the flu came back negative. So then that's why they tested me for COVID. And then I got my results maybe like five days after that. And I tested positive. But by that time, it had uh, run its course and everything like that. I, I wasn't feeling any symptoms anymore. Um, I didn't have the worst symptoms, just congestion, a cough, and fever. So it wasn't, you know, I didn't have the worst experience with it. And I'm pretty blessed to say that and to say that I'm uh, COVID-free and everything like that. So. Oh, that's awesome. So happy to hear that. And then obviously, uh, you know, everybody that's around you, you know, siblings and mom and everything, they were all okay. They didn't catch it or anything like that. No, they didn't catch it. I wasn't really around them. So when I found out I had it, I was just quarantining from them and all of my family. Fantastic. Well, happy to hear that. And, and in terms of, I know you said you're staying ready. Um, I know that in Asia, they're starting to slowly open things back up. Uh, Europe is kind of lagging a little bit behind. Are you in communication with your agent at all about when uh, maybe there's going to be an opportunity to, to you know get some games in overseas again? Yeah, we've been in contact, but right now it's just everything's the same thing. Um, everything's still pretty uh, much closed off and everything. So he said he'd keep me updated and keep me um, just make sure I stay ready to for whenever there is a call that I can just um, be ready to go. I mean, what's that like? Because, I mean, you're, you're only young once. You've only got so many games in your legs. And, you know, it'd be one thing, like I, I had Teresa on yesterday, and she said, you know, hey, the only time she had ever, you know, been still was whenever she had tore her ACL, and she's been playing her whole rest of her career other than that. But now you're sidelined with something that you didn't do wrong. You're, you're not injured. It's nothing that you could control. How does that feel to know that you're, you know, you're sitting at home and there's not a doggone thing you could do about it? I mean, it's rough, but, you know, everything happens for a reason. So, you know, there's a reason that's happening. There's a reason everything's going on. There's a reason everything's shut down. So I just, you know, try not to worry about that part too much and just do what I can, control what I can, you know. And Randy, one of the things I want to ask you about is I first met you when you were in high school playing at Central Catholic. And I told, and I, I could even go and, and find the link, I published this when I was at the home of times. I said, this player is underrated. I don't know why she's not getting bigger and better offers than what she is. Uh, but you're going off to UNO, kind of an you know unheralded prospect. And then you blow up out there in New Orleans. And one of the best, if not the best, uh, women's basketball player in the history of that school. What was your college experience like? And I know if I had to, to ask you this, I'm sure you were a little bit hungry and trying to you know say, hey, a lot of these schools didn't want me. I'm going to show y'all. And you put up some huge numbers at UNO. What was that like? Yeah, that was really big. It just just being able to do that in front of my family was like a really big thing for me, too. Uh, every day, I just told myself, uh, I just have to get better. Just staying hungry, wanting better, wanting to be better, wanting to do better, uh, wanting to be putting myself in a better position to be the player that, you know, that everyone thought I wouldn't be or that everyone slept on in a way. So uh, I just try to do my best to work hard and everything, everything I can control, I just do my best to control it, you know, put myself in positions to be seen and looked at. And when I am put, th- when I am put in those positions, just making sure that I do what I can and to make sure that I'm prepared. Uh, that's the biggest thing, just staying prepared because I can be put on the stage to show you know, who who's overlooked me before, but if I don't produce, then, you know, I'm just proving them right. So just to make sure that I produce and actually do what I know that I can do when I put on that stage and just be myself. 
What's the biggest bucket you've ever made in your career, Randy? Any level? Uh, I would have to say my sophomore year at UNO, we played uh, SFA and conference. And my sophomore year, we had only won maybe eight games. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were one of the lowest teams in conference. And we were in conference play, playing SFA, and SFA was a big team. They were, if not the number one team in the conference at the time, they were the second team. And there was a few seconds left. There's actually a YouTube video of this. It was a few seconds left. Uh, maybe about five seconds left. And we were down two. And the girl, her name was Taylor Shipper. I remember this like it was yesterday. She was shooting free throws. And when we followed her, and when we followed her, I just I looked over and I saw their coach. He put his he put his um he put his clipboard down and he was like, It's over. I heard I saw him say this. I didn't even hear him. I read his lips, that's all I'm saying. He was like, It's over. So they were like kind of getting ready to celebrate five seconds left. They're at the free throw line. We're down um we we're down three, two, we were down we have to be down one because or we're down two or something like that. And she she made the first one. No, she missed the first one, and she made the second one. So we ended up being down by two points. And um, at first, after she made the second one, I don't think they had the rule to where if you call the timeout, you can advance the ball at this time. I don't think they switched that to my junior year. So everyone was pressing. Like her, His girls were, like, going up to press. And he called them back. He called them back, told them to play half-court defense. And I just looked at him like, okay. <laughs> so uh, my point guard at the time, her name was uh, Danny Davis. She passed me the ball. She inbounded the ball to me. At first, when they when they had the press-up, Coach uh, Davenport, she was like, we didn't have any timeouts left. It had to be we didn't have any timeouts left. So she was just like, get the ball in. So then when she pulled everybody back, when he pulled everybody back, she was like, give the ball to Randy. So he gave me the ball, five seconds left, a little bit over five seconds. I dribbled the ball full court, stopped at the three-point line, just threw it up and made the shot. And the girl was, like, in my face. Like, she just contested it. So she's in my face, hit the shot, and went off the backboard in. And it was a three. We won the game. I think we ended up winning by one. And uh, everyone just ran on the floor and everything like that. And it was just, like, a really good feeling. What, you know, yeah, what's that like? I, I'm never going to experience that. Talk, what does that feel like? I and mean, that's got to be an adrenaline rush like no other. And it was big because I was a sophomore and I was probably like one of the youngest people on the floor. And it's like, you know, they trusted me to make that shot. Oh, that's awesome. Now, one of the things I like the most about you, Randy, is you are a very, um, you're a very interesting person. You got a lot of different diverse and unique hobbies and anything that's going on in the world, you're going to be keeping up with it. We were talking earlier today. You've been following the last dance documentary. Uh, what do you think about it? I know, I know that you're a little bit young to, to be too much of an MJ fan from when you were a kid, but now you're watching some clips back now. What do you think about the documentary so far? I think it's really cool. And just to know that some of the thoughts, that he had as a leader on his team and like the type of player he is just knowing that you know he wasn't liked on every level like every team he was on he wasn't liked and just knowing that you know how he felt sometimes and the things he would say sometimes just knowing that I've had those same thoughts or I've had those same feelings like to know that nothing's wrong with me for feeling like that or 
or nothing's wrong with me for thinking like that sometimes, you know, because I'm, because that, like, sometimes I'll think, you know, I shouldn't think like that. That's not okay. But just knowing that he would be like that too sometimes, that just let me know that, you know, I'm on the right track and, like, I'm okay. Like, that's okay that you think like that. Yeah, no doubt. Last question before I let you go. We have a lot of listeners who are high school age or young college age, and there are a lot of listeners who are wanting to be in Randy Brown's shoes one day and, and wanting to be getting visas and passports and going to play all over the world. What would you tell those younger players to keep them pushing, keep them hungry? Uh, just stay dedicated in everything you do, whether it's sports, school, anything. Just stay dedicated and make sure you're, um, make, make sure you're just always ready. Just stay ready. You never know what's going to happen. Like, oh, this is going on. You know, a lot of kids, they're not playing sports at all. But, you know, there's still something you can be doing. Um, there's a lot of outside and a lot of day, a lot of time in the day. So, you know, a lot of sun. You know, any chance you get, just make sure you're getting better. Make sure you're getting better and make, make sure you just stay, stay appreciative of every moment. Because, you know, so many times people think, Oh, I'm not gonna give him all this time because I can do it tomorrow, or I'm not gonna give it all, give him all this game because I can do it tomorrow. Well, you know, tomorrow's not promised, as you can see. Everything shut down. No NBA, no WBA at the moment. All of that shut down. And now, you know, that last game that you didn't give your all, that could have very well been the last game for you don't know how long. So just just make sure you're always going hard. Make sure you're always giving it 110 percent. Because, like I said, you never know when it's your last game. Great advice. Well, look, Randy, thanks so much for the time. We'll do this again soon, okay? Okay. This is Randy Brown on the Casey's Corner Podcast. We'll be right back after this break. And this break will allow me to tell you guys that I'm doing this Casey's Corner Podcast for you, our readers and our listeners at the LaFouche Gazette. Um, I'm doing this 100% for you to give you guys an opportunity to have a little peace of mind and a little bit of normalcy during this COVID-19 pandemic. Um, But I also want your input into the things we talk about. So if there's a guest you'd like me to get, let me know. I'll try my darndest to have them on. If there's a topic you'd like me to talk about, let me know, and I'll do my darndest to inform myself and educate myself on that topic. If there's a team that you want to reminisce about or a game or anything of that sort, let me know. We'll make it happen here on the Casey's Corner Podcast. It's the Casey's Corner Podcast here on LaFoucheGazette.com. We're joined now on the phone lines by South LaFouche football coach BJ Young. Coach, how you doing, man? Doing good, man. How are you? Doing great. Uh, look, I've been asked by tons of people to have you on, so we finally got you. Uh, people are excited about football down the bay, and they want to know about their new football coach. Um, how are things been going, man? I know that it's kind of been a slow ride. You guys are, are held up with the pandemic, but how have things been going down the bay for you so far, coach? Yeah, man, I'm excited, too. It's good to hear people are excited, uh, you know, bring a little energy back back to the community. Um, you know, it's, it's it's going, I guess, how everybody else is kind of going. You know, um, a little different for me, though, because we we trying to install new systems and, and how we work out and condition and, you know, all the way down to how we stretch. But it's been great. You know, my first week at South, um, it was like a family, man. It, it truly was. You know, everybody's really welcoming, um, you know, showing me around, uh, you know, going out their way to tell me good morning and, uh, and things like that. And, you know, the kids were great, you know, walking the halls, trying to recruit some kids and, you know, all of them are kind of talking like, you know, kind of hoping I wish they go, I go talk to them next, you know. So it, it was good, man. It was fun. And, uh, you know, it's just a waiting game now, but hopefully everything gets back to a little bit of a normalcy 
So uh, we, we can get to work. For folks who are going to be hearing you speak for the first time, give them a little bit of a rundown of where you come from, who you played for, who you coached for, all that good stuff. Yeah, I um I went to Hornville High School. I played um I played receiver and quarterback. Uh played for Lou Valden, um a historic coach down there. You know, every kind of everybody knows his name, you know, all over the state. Um did a lot of good things, won a lot of football games and uh you know, if ever I have questions, I I reach out to him. Um I actually seen him at a few 707s on on this past summer. Uh from Southeastern, I mean, I'm sorry, from uh, Hornville, I got a full scholarship to play quarterback at Southeastern. So um, I went to Southeastern, played quarterback, uh, had a good experience there. I was under a lot of great coaches. Uh, Mike Lucas uh, was there for 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 majority of my time. He was the head football coach. And then Tommy Condell was the offensive coordinator, who is now the offensive coordinator for the Toronto Argonauts in the CFL. Nice. Um, so, so, yeah, take a lot of stuff that I learned from him in, in our passing game. Um, that 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 we use, um, and then after he 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 left to go to the CFL, um, he actually left us I think to go to maybe uh, I think he went to Cornell, and then from Cornell, uh, Coach Condell went to uh, he went to the Hamilton Tiger Cats, and then now he's with Toronto. But his right hand man was uh, Alan Rudolph, who's um, at the University of Ohio right now. Uh, he became the offensive coordinator and kind of took what Coach Condell did and, and kind of evolved it a little bit more and, you know, more, more maybe some zone reach stuff and more from the gun uh, than Coach Condell did. Um, so learned a lot from him as well. And uh, my quarterback coach, Coach Ardia Celta, um, he was at Yale for a while. Um, you know, they went to Oregon and they got some of that stuff that Chip Kelly was running, you know. So I got to be kind of in that, in that system, I guess, um, in a way. Uh, so learned a lot, learned a lot from Southeastern, and, and, and it's a lot of stuff that we run, you know. And then Ron Roberts came in, who's not the defense coordinator at Baylor, and uh, he brought his staff and uh, from um, from Mississippi after Coach um, Coach Lucas left, and then so um, Coach Greg Stevens was the offensive coordinator, who who was sharp, man. He, he he's the real deal too, you know. And uh, he's still there, actually. Coach Roberts, like I said, is the defensive coordinator at Baylor, um, but actually. Um, you know, yeah, oh, shit, I'm drawing a blank, man. The guy from uh, how we doing? Uh, the new head coach of Baylor. Go help me out. Uh, Dave Aranda. There you go. Um, yeah, so Coach Dave Aranda. Aranda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dave Aranda hired uh, you know, Ron Roberts to be the defensive coordinator. So that 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 shows the respect level that he has for for Coach Roberts. You know, so but Greg learned under Greg Stevens as well. My last year, and, and like I say, Coach Stevens is still there um, right now uh, as the offensive coordinator. Um, under the new head coach. So uh, I was fortunate to do a lot of that stuff, learn a lot of good stuff. And then from there, my first job was at East Ascension High School over there in Gonzales. I coached the receivers. Um, and then I got on at Woodlawn for Daniel Luquette, who was the head coach. And I did the quarterbacks. And then um, Coach Lee brought me back to East Ascension to be the offensive coordinator. Um, you know, so, so you know, kind of you learn, you learn by the fire, I guess, you know. So, uh you know, learned a lot of things from year to year, being able to call plays and, um, you know, growing the aspect. You know, when you get when you when you get a title, man, and it's your show, you try to do everything. You know, you try to run bug sweep, trap, counter, power, inside zone. And then, you know, just talking to other coaches, you know, a big influence to me. I don't even know if he knows it is the uh, offense coordinator at Zachary. We were both golf coaches. You know, so we on the golf coach playing golf with the kids. The kids are playing golf. We watching. I'm, I'm sitting there picking his mind because they doing something right. You know, right. they win in state championships like crazy. They're a powerhouse. So I'm picking his mind of 
his the way he goes about doing things and uh, his type of scheme. And uh, he helped me a lot. And then um, Kerrigan McCready, who was the offensive coordinator when I got on at East Ascension, he's the offensive coordinator at Dutchtown now. Uh, being able to, you know, step back from it and see how he runs things and, you know, how he organizes his 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 call sheet and practice with the scout team. So so we get, you know, we maximizing our time and uh, kind of his philosophy on how he calls plays and how, how to make it simple for the kids so we can play fast. But it looks different for the defense. So had a lot of good people, man. I know I'm rambling, but I had a lot of good people that, that I need to thank along the way um, that, that helped me grow. You know, and then defense coordinator EA was one of the best I've ever been around. Jimmy Zachary, the head coach at Appaloosa. So getting to go against him every day in practice, you know, you're going back and forth with each other. We get back in the office, we get on the board, man, how'd you do that to stop this? And, oh, man, you know, we just filled it like this and you forced your hand to run that. So we're able to bounce ideas off each other with him as well and just growing like that, you know. So uh, fortunate to be around a lot of good coaches playing and, and coaching. When you get the phone call from either Miss Sheremy or Coach Collie or whoever it came from, and they said, "Coach, we want you," and you you know you hung up and and you accepted the job, whatever it may be, uh, what was going through your mind as you were hearing those words? We want you to be our head football coach. Yeah, man, it was it was surreal. You know, I um, it it was something I, I I've, I've been following, I guess, for the last year. You know, um, like I say, my fiance's from the bay, from down the bayou, from from South. She's an alumni and her whole family. Um, you know, so it was something I was following, uh, the last year, just kind of seeing how the team was doing. And, uh, when, when it came available, I applied, um, but like I say, man, you know, you apply, you, you wish for the best, you know, I, me personally, I felt the interview went well. Um, and then, and then I left the school and then got the call. And, uh, like I said, it was for surreal, you know, I, I was, I was super excited. And then, um, you know, when I let the family know they were all, they were all pumped, you know, uh, so, so it, it was awesome, man. It, it was a good, it's a good, it was a good experience to uh, to be a part of going through that process and interviewing for the job and 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 getting it, you know. Very good. Now, now look, you, offensively, you're going to be turning a rectangle into a triangle here, man. You, you you're turning a triple option to more of a spread. What are some of the challenges that come with that? And uh, what are some of the things that you're most focused on trying to to get the kids ready for that? Yeah, we we uh we, you know we we we've talked about that in some zoom meetings I had had with the staff, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, we were out there running the forties before it all went down. We were maxing some of the kids, see what they had and then maxing so we can base some percentages in the weight room and, and stuff like that. And, you know, we outside, I'm getting to know them, you know, uh, you know, what's your name, man? So-and-so good, good, good. And, you know, they, they eager, you know, so it's, uh, you know, what position you play running back? Okay. Well, what position you play? Or running back. What position you play? Running back, Mike. <laughs> Guys, I hate to break it to y'all, but we ain't, y'all, y'all not playing. Like, oh, y'all not playing running back now. You know, uh, some of y'all gonna play slot receiver. You know, uh, so, um, but but it's things like you, you know hitting the jugs machine and and doing routes on air. You know, we call them ROAs. You know, just just running routes on air and catching balls and learning how to run routes again. You know, some of those guys, you know, they never ran routes and caught the ball. You know, um, they did they, they blocked and then. There was a lot of in-the-box blocking. So now we, with the RPOs we're doing and, and the type of stuff we're doing scheme-wise, you know, being able to block as a receiver on the perimeter, um, you know, as well as catching balls and, and you know, learning more. You know, there's going to be a lot more formations that we're going to use and, and motions and, and running personnel groups in and out. Um, so so I think from a mental standpoint, it's going to be a, a, a challenge. But I, I'm going to tell you, you know, just meeting the kids, man, they, they're, they're really smart kids. And uh, eager to learn and, and be great, so that, that's all you can ask for as a coach. I think it'll be a it'll be a transition for him. I, I think it's going to be 
when they'll be excited about it. So, so they'll buy in and, and want to do it, you know? Um, but it's gonna be a lot of throwing and catching balls and it's going to be different tracks for the running back on the zone schemes. And, um, it'll be different for the quarterbacks as well. You know, it's going to be, um, it's going to be more than what I think they used to. Studying some of the guys on tape, um, you you have a returning quarterback, as you said, you got a bunch of, you know, different backs and, you know, receivers that are coming back. Do you think that you have the skill guys on campus on hand to pull this off? Yeah, I mean, look, like like I say, you know, I, I'm sitting there trying to watch Huddle, and, and I had the depth chart with me. Uh, not the depth chart, the, the roster for the kids, you know, and I'm trying to, all right, he's, he's number, you know, he, he's eight, all right? So I'm looking at eight on, on the roster. Okay, eight, he's a junior. Okay, good, he's coming back. <laughs> you know, so I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to miss and match, you know, and and, and look at it from that, that perspective. Um, You know, if I'd have had a few more weeks, I could tell you. I, I'm going to tell you this, I'm confident in the kids we have. Um. I, I think we have what it takes to win win football games. You know, when I got there, they, they kept talking about, um, you know, got to get the kids back in from the hall who was supposed to be playing, and if they do, we'll be fine. So, you know, I, I believe that we have the pieces in place uh, to, to make it happen, man. You know, and, and like I say, you know, Rome wasn't built overnight, but but um, like I told the kids this, man, the losing is unacceptable, you know, and, uh, and that's losing and everything. You know, showing up to class, not ready to learn with a pencil and a paper, uh, being disrespectful to a teacher, that's not winning. You know, we, we got to, we're going to have a slogan that's win. You know, what's important now? So in second block, win. What's important now is if you got, if you got something you need to do in that class, that's, that's winning. So, you know, losing in any aspect, um, is, is unacceptable. And I told him it's not going to, we not, that's not tolerated. You know, that doesn't live there anymore. The, the, you know, we, we don't lose. So, um, uh, there's no excuse. You know, there's a pandemic out. You know, I, I, I won't make excuses. You know, uh, we used to have a slogan at home, but you know, don't, don't, you know, the super don't, don't offer me excuses. Um, so there's no excuses. We got to get it done. You know, if people expect it to happen, I expect it to happen. Yeah, I expect it to be great. And, uh, and they, they're going to expect it to be great as well. So I hear all the time. Um, okay. Well, he's got to win the halls. He's got to win the hall. So I'm going to ask you to imagine right now that I'm a six foot, one inch, 210 pound junior who didn't play football last season. Upon meeting me for the first time, what would that sound like? How would you convince me to be a part of Tarpon football? <laughs> Yeah, you know, something to the point. What's up, big boy? You know, and just kind of, you know, showing, just talking to my vision of what I see him doing. You know, I, and look, I'm going to say, Casey, I walk the halls a lot. And they, they, they got kids in there, you yeah. know, but just, just trying to make them feel like that they, they want it. You know, uh, you know, what's up, big man? You know, uh, man, you know, you know, I, I, I don't know. You know, I can't word for word. You know, everybody right. looks different. I kind of I kind of base it off the, the personality of the kid when, when I. You know, off that first when I when I come in with the you know the enthusiasm and I you know I dab them off for lack of a better term. You know how they handle it. That's kind of how I go about it. You know, uh, I feel like I had a little success. We had 62 kids sign up. You know, so uh, which is good for me. You know, which is good for me. Which is good for the program. You know, the more we have, you know, the the, the better it is. But um, just making them feel like they're important. That that I want them to be a part of it. Because look, honestly, I, I don't. I, you know, obviously, I don't know if they can play or not. Uh, but but I know this: if, if they can or not, if they be a part of, if they come and be a part of the program, they're going to be a better person. Sure, you know they're going to be held accountable to a standard. They're going, to, they, you know, they'll be a better student because of it. Um, you know, and then down the line, you know, the goal is to make them better men, so you know, better husbands, you know, better dads and stuff like that. So regardless if they can play or not, man, just to come be a part of it and get that family, you know, that atmosphere, that camaraderie, and get to stand under the under the lights on Friday night. That's special, you know, and, then, and you know, and then the stuff we do with the running, the conditioning, hold, holding, holding them accountable, and you know, that makes them better people overall. So, you know, that's kind of the thought between 
is the, the thought behind of kind of how I approach it. Now, one of the things that I think is being overlooked a little bit is you guys are also going to be changing up the defense. Tell us about your philosophy regarding that and what are some of the, the, the slight changes we should expect to see in the fall. That's right. Um, uh, Coach Will Broussard uh, is the new defensive coordinator. He uh, he was the defensive coordinator at Thibodeau for a while, and uh, he's kind of been around. He's coached out of state. And uh, we sat down and talked. You know, this was during the, the, the quarantine, you know, so we actually met at my house in Thibodeau. Uh, and, you know, we talked for, man, I don't know, three hours, you know, scheme and, um, you know, his vision of a defense. And, and, you know, he asked me, Coach, you know, what you think, you know, based on what you've seen on, in, in the halls and, and what we have on film and, you know, what do you what do we think? And, um, you know, I like the 3-4 a lot. I think um, for us to find three big bodies, um, because we have a lot of linebacker bodies, you know, you look at the, you look at a lot of our kids that look like linebackers or running backs or, uh, you know, hips and stuff like that, those hybrid tight end type bodies. And so my, my and look, I, like I told him, Case, I said, look, Will, man, I'm, I'm not going to micromanage you. You know, I, I'm hiring you. You know, I want you to come aboard because I trust you. Um, you know, if I feel like, you know, we're not getting it done, you know, we're going to meet about it and we're going to try to make it better as, as a group because we're in it together, you know. And, 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 and the actual, the, the term I said was, you know, if there's a hole in the boat, you know, and I see it, and I don't say nothing. We both gonna sing, right? You know, so and I thought it was assistant coaches. You know, I'm, I'm transparent. You know, if you see something that we can be better at as an assistant coach, you know, and you don't bring it to my attention, or you see something happening in the locker room, or you see kids starting to maybe turn and you know trying to bring other guys along because they're not maybe getting the playing time they want, you don't bring that to me. You know, that's like a hole in the boat. We all gonna sink because of that. So we all in it together. So based in a nutshell, I told him, you know, we'll, I'm not gonna micromanage a man, but. The way I see it is I think it's easy for us to find three bigger bodies and have those bodies, um, those smart kids. You know, we got, we got smart kids, man. So have them, you know, moving around, mugging here, bail, bring it, bring, the, bring it from another side or slant the line and bring the line, you know, just just, just mess with people a little bit. So And, and he was on board with it. He agreed. And uh, he's on the huddle right now. And he watches huddle. And uh, he sent me some of the defensive install stuff. And he's actually having a Zoom meeting tomorrow with, with the defensive staff. So, um, he's doing a great job so far, man. I'm really excited to have him on board. Very good. Well, look, Coach, before we let you go, we're gonna. Uh, there are a lot of folks that are eager to learn your personality. And I know that there would have been so many opportunities for you to go and shake hands, your alumni softball tournament, all these things that have been canceled. So I'm going to try to give a little bit of your personality to our listeners. So the first question I'm going to ask you is, who was your favorite NFL player growing up? Who was the guy that B.J. Young was trying to be like in the backyard when you were slinging the rock around? Uh, oh, man. uh I was a Brett Favre guy, you know. Okay. My daddy brought me a Brett Favre. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, that kind of bit me in the butt at Southeast a little bit because I was kind of the same way. You know, I just – I feel like I can make every throw. You know, um, if he's running a seam or something, that guy's in his pocket, but he ain't looking to me, he's open. I'm throwing it, you know. <laughs> so kind of that gunslinger mentality. And uh, But, you know, I would say right now or all time, you know, my favorite player is Drew Brees. You know, without Drew Brees and Sean Payton, the Saints, the Saints aren't who they are. So um, my favorite player all time is Drew Brees and – I said my favorite coach, man, Sean Payton. I um, I follow him on Twitter. He was posting some plays the other day, and I'm sitting there trying to think about his his thought process behind it because I want to run it too. Because if he runs it, it's legit, you know. Very good. And and some things away from the field. What are some things that BJ Young likes to do in his spare time? Yeah, man. Look, I'm a golfer. You know, I like to golf. Um, now you know in the fall we, we dedicate a lot of time to it. You know, uh, I probably spend more time with those kids than I'll spend with my own kids and my, and my own you know fiance slash wife. You know, so. Um, I try to do a lot of family stuff too in the office. You know, uh, if I'm home, you know, I try to I try to be with the two boys. 
or, or, or you know, Emily and try to uh, do some family stuff and, and, and things of that nature. But, uh, you know, my hobby, I like, I like to swing it a little bit. You know, I like to go play a little golf. Nothing wrong with that. What, what do you like the most about living down the bayou? I, I, the people, man. I, I think uh, when I first met Emily and, and I came down here and met her family and stuff, I told her that when we left, it's just everybody's real warm. You know, they're welcoming. It's not a, uh, you know, sometimes you go meet, you know, go meet the family or you go to a new place and it's kind of that awkward silence or you're trying to talk and nobody really talking back. And, you know, so really warm and welcoming. And, you know, and like I said, I told her that the first time I met met her family and, and, and that first we got uh, South Lafouche, man, is the same thing. You know, everybody's really warm and, um, one of the secretaries cooked a gumbo and a potato. Coach, you want some gumbo and a potato salad? And I was there for like two days, you know, and I'm like, no, I'm okay. You know, so just very warm and welcoming and just friendly people, man. If you wouldn't be coaching football, what do you think you'd be doing for a living? <laughs> I wanted to be an FBI agent. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, want, I wanted to go to oh, an actor. When I was growing up, my mom and dad would tell you I wanted to go to Hollywood and, and be an actor and, and, and do that whole deal, you know. Uh, but, But, you know, I was a toss-up coming out of high school. I wanted to either I wanted to go to be an FBI agent, or I wanted to be a teacher and a coach. Because my dad's a teacher, and he coaches, you know, at Destrian High School. So, um, you know, that was been always something he coached me growing up, and it was always something that I, you know, I loved. Man, I loved the game of baseball and basketball and football. I played all three, and uh, wanted to be part of it. You know, if I didn't coach, I'd miss I'd miss the game so much. You know, I'd have an empty void. So, uh, but if I couldn't coach or, or teach and you know, be around the kids, man, and build them relationships with those guys and 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 the general students, you know, uh, that you see on a day to day basis. Uh, I'd want to be an FBI agent, uh, but you know, when I looked into you, go to Quantico, and you can't work in the city you're from, and and I had a scholarship to play football, so it, I kind of uh, that that kind of went by the wayside, you know. Well, look, man, thanks so much for the time, and uh, we're gonna do a bunch of stuff with you to promote the the, the program here going forward on the podcast, all right? Good deal, man. I appreciate you, man. Yes, sir. That is BJ Young joining us here on Casey's Corner. We'll be right back after this break. And this would be a good reminder to remind you about the Lafouche Gazette app available in all app stores today. Uh, just go to your app store, type lafouchegazette.com. You get the latest access to all of our news that we're producing. You get push notifications and anything that we're producing, we could send it to you on your app. 100% easy, 100% free. You don't have to do anything except go to your app store, type Lafouche Gazette, download our app today. That's where you can get all the latest and greatest and stay informed with everything happening in our community. Again, it's the Lafouche Gazette app in your app store available today. We thank South Lafouche football coach BJ Young for his time. We thank Randy Brown for her time. It's the Casey's Corner podcast here on LafoucheGazette.com. Before we sign off, we are going to give you a quick COVID-19 update. All these numbers are the latest numbers for the state of Louisiana provided by the Louisiana Department of Health. We now have 30,652 COVID cases in the state of Louisiana. That is up less than 300 uh, from today to yes, or yesterday to today. Uh, we now have 2,135 people who have died from COVID-19 in Louisiana. Um, and today's report with the uh, 300 new positives, or roughly 300 new positives, there were uh, more than 7,000 tests that were processed. So one of the things to pay attention to is um, the number of cases are likely to start to go up just slightly. Um, as I said, 253 new cases in the state today. Number of new cases are probably going to go up slightly just as they're testing more and more people. But hell, 7,000 test process, only 253 new cases. That is a phenomenal report for the state of Louisiana today. We had a great, uh, great news, a lot of great news. 
Um, Lafouche Parish cases went up just by one, 692 to 693. Um, but there are a couple of new deaths to report. They're now 55 total in the parish. Um, as we've said uh, throughout, the total number of COVID cases um, is not the number you want to pay attention to. This has now been going on for two months, and the total number of cases is going to continue to rise. It's going to go up and up and up. It's never going to go down. Um, the number you want to pay attention to is the number of people who have recovered, for one, which we know that that's more than 20,000 people, and that number is also five days old, so it's probably closer to twenty-three or 24,000 people now. Um, but the second number that you want to pay attention to is the number of hospitalized patients in the state of Louisiana with COVID-related ailments. The Department of Health gives us those informa that information, those numbers every day. Um, we could tell you now that there are 1,432 patients in Louisiana hospitals with COVID-19-related ailments, and 189 of those patients are on ventilators. Um, the hospitalization number, y'all, I, I just want to put into perspective um, how impressive that is of uh, as people like to to say and, and talk about you know all the things that we are not um, and, and like to emphasize all the negativity and all the bad news and any type of negative news that they could find um, but those hospitalization numbers are incredible we have not had hospitalization numbers like that in our state since March the 31st at one time, we had 2,100 patients hospitalized, and at one time, we had 571 patients on ventilators. Those numbers are now 1,432 and 189 on ventilators. Our ventilator usage has dropped tenfold, and our hospitalization numbers have dropped to numbers that we haven't seen in more than a month. So, And those numbers continue to go down. Just for perspective, you go to the, the middle of April, we had 1,900 people hospitalized. So we've dropped by more than 500 patients in just more than a month and a half. Um, incredible progress. Can't say enough good things about our, our health workers and our and the people in our medical field in the state of Louisiana for the hard work they're doing. I know we've had a lot of people die. Um, I know we've been hit hard and we've lost so many of our, you know, the people in our state and we're still fighting and we're still hurting and we're still trying to get ourselves up off the mat. Um, but we've made such tremendous progress and we've made such tremendous progress because of the hard work of our nurses and medical professionals. Also for the hard work of the people of the state who are staying home and are sucking it up and trying to find ways to make a, you know, the best out of this really bad situation. Um, hospitalization numbers in our state and in our region, we have, you got that, we have 17 ventilators that are in use in region three, 107 that are available. Remember at one time, the the craze around the country was, oh, bro, we don't have enough ventilators. We're running out of ventilators. Um, those predictions and those expectations were false for a couple of reasons. For one, uh, because the demand for them never grew to the levels that experts thought. And for two, the United States federal government did such a great job. And I'm not going to be political here. I don't care who or what party the president is or is not. He did a phenomenal job supplying ventilators to the people who were in need. We once had a shortage. We now have a surplus. Every single region in the state of Louisiana has far more ventilators available than they have in use. And we have a surplus that is going to last us for a lifetime. ICU beds, we have 40 in use in Region 3. 49 are available. That's been about consistent with the numbers we've seen in recent days. One stat worth noting are some of the troubled regions that were labeled um, as, as needing to make progress 
have started to make some progress. The Baton Rouge area started to make a little bit of progress. Um, in our area, hospital bed availability, we have 407 beds in use, 305 are available. That number has been around that ratio and around that area throughout the entire pandemic. And I, one, one thing I want to note, and I always specify this when giving these numbers, when I tell you how many ICU beds are available and how many ICU beds are in use, just like when I tell you how many hospital beds are available and how many hospital beds are in use, please know that those numbers indicate all patients and not just COVID patients. So if somebody has a heart attack and needs open heart surgery and they need an ICU bed, they're going to count in that number. Just like if somebody goes into the hospital and has a baby and they have to spend the night, they're going to count in that hospital bed stat as well. So when I tell you that there are 407 beds being used in Region 3, that doesn't mean that there are 407 people hospitalized with COVID-19 in Region 3. That just means there are 407 people in the hospital. There are only 1,432 people in the entire state who are hospitalized with COVID ailments. And the um, what I understand, our hospitals are, are doing good. They're lightening up their loads, and they are doing a good job to get those patients, keep them safe, and um, we can hopefully put this thing in the rearview mirror. I do not have any questions that I feel like I need to answer urgently regarding the pandemic. Our shows run a little bit long today. But if you have a COVID question, I'm more than happy to help. Uh, send it over to justclairecasey at gmail.com at a future show. I'll be happy to answer it for you. Quickly before we sign off, our cases in the United States are approaching 1.3 million. Um, some of the troubled areas in the country are starting to cool off. New York's numbers have been a little bit better recently. And um, one interesting thing, man, it feels like some of the places in the country that have made the most progress are in warm weather climates. Um, and I think it just goes to show that I think that the less time that this virus could live on a surface outdoors, the less the spread is going to be. Um, so hopefully that means brighter things for us in the summer and we could uh, get a warm and, and dry summer and we could hopefully put this thing past us. Uh, so I'm going to sign off here. Again, I want to thank Coach Young. I want to thank Randy Brown. I want to thank you all. A reminder, you could get us on iTunes in the iTunes store. Type in Casey's Corner, subscribe, give me a five-star rating. Or if you don't like the show, give me a one-star rating. I'm okay with that, too. I want honest feedback. Um, but we're going to sign off here. We've got big guests confirmed for the future. Stromile Swift, former NBA star, he'll be coming on. Uh, we've got a lot of other guests lined up. Um, Siobhan Coleman, LSU star, uh, professional basketball player, he'll be joining us. So we've got big things planned. And I got a big, well, I can't say officially yet. But I think I'm going to have a big announcement to break for a guest coming up in the future. So keep it, your eyes peeled on my social media for that announcement. But we're going to sign off right here. It was a successful fourth episode. And I thank you all for listening. You guys have a wonderful, by the time you listen to this, it may be Friday. So have a wonderful Thursday slash Friday and a great weekend ahead. God bless everybody and keep it on lafouchegazette.com. Gazette.com.